team. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From the Masson Newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings joining you live on the Masson Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Tuesday afternoon. Hopefully you're having a safe and fun start to your week. Amy, it's good to see you back in person. We're matching once again in all black. Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Bobby. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Had a good start to the week. I was actually off, even though the Nationals played yesterday. I played some round of golf uh, for a a nice charity uh, tournament. Um, So, funny story. So, it's like a a, um, team play. So, you play best ball. Okay. And you're foursome. And um, they tally up their score via that way. But... uh, are so they hand out they're handing out uh, their uh, prizes at the end of the the banquet you know after we talk so yellow uh, ribbon fund who is a local charity in, in Bethesda they help out uh, sick and injured uh, military veterans and their families during health crises so great cause but um, so they go third place group second place group first place group last place group yours truly. Our group, <laughs> we got fifty dollars gift certificates to the pro shop, so that was oh, nice. nice. Okay, and then um, my 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 buddy Porter, who is how we uh, who invited us to play, uh, he's the one who set it all up for us. He ended up winning two raffle tickets. Nice, and okay, yeah. So we got signed, formerly Redskins, Washington football team paraphernalia uh, from. Uh, I got a signed poster by Larry Brown, and uh, my other friend Ian got a signed poster by Dexter Manley, and Sweet, then okay. Greg Porter um, took home. Um, a nice band from, uh, he served a couple years in Afghanistan. So he took one, um, like a, a wooden Afghanistan flag band. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it meant a lot to him. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. You? Yeah. So, but played bad and still got rewarded yeah. for it. So well, yeah, that's it, not it was too all, bad. It that's was not a bad day. Not a bad way to spend the Monday. No, I wish um, our Washington football team could have done a little bit better on Sunday. Yeah, we don't have to talk about um, that though. But <laughs> we're not going to get into that. We'll stick with our Washington baseball, baseball team, team, which baseball. I don't know how much better that is, but yeah. different, different situation completely. <laughs> different, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, for... You know, if we wanted to talk about the football team, the focus probably would be on the defense and how bad it was. Right. Uh, when we expect it to be really good. And we're talking about that baseball team, we're going to flip and talk about the offense and how good it's, it's been. been uh, it's, bec- you didn't expect didn't it. Didn't expect it because, you know, you look at the trade deadline, you get rid of arguably one of your best players in trade Turner. Obviously, they chipped off a lot of pitchers. You shipped off your biggest bat in Kyle Schwarber. Um, and you would think that the Nationals would have taken a big dip from the trade deadline to right now in terms of offensive production. But re- really, the offense is what's keeping them in games. And the few times they are winning games, that's the reason why. is because they're being able to outscore. You know, we talked about a bunch. I've said it a lot on the pod. The, the, this is not your Nationals of old. You know, this is not a team that we are used to seeing under Mike Rizzo. The, the pitching is going to lose games more often than not from here on out in this season. Uh, especially that bullpen. Bullpen is, is struggling uh, a lot. That doesn't help when the starter doesn't get too deep in games, but that's not what we're talking about today. But the offense is what's really carrying this team, and it's been really impressive how some guys have stepped up, new guys have stepped up, and then guys who had rough starts to the seasons have really hit their stride and starting to hit a lot better. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it's been a, a really good combination of 
guys who had bad first halves or struggled out of the gate or like Josh Bell had COVID at, at the start of the season, a combination between that and then their new additions to this team, whether they were in the minors uh, for the majority of the season or they weren't even with this ball club. And we talked about a lot of them last night and how, I mean, last week, last night, <laughs> we were on here late at night. Yeah. Um, uh, last week, how they've been contributing and really been the ones to step up, and they continue as we get a bigger body of work uh, throughout the rest of the season. It's been a really nice combination of both of those on this offense that has held them in games, and they have not been costly, and they've kind of given them everything they got, and it's the bullpen. And a combination between the starting pitching and the bullpen that's blowing games and are the reason that they're losing. Which is really impressive to me. We'll get into some numbers in a, in a minute, but – on the face of it, it's just the way that David Martinez has been able to construct his lineups on a daily basis. He's sticking to the same lineup almost every single day, mm-hmm. regardless of if it's left-handed or a right-handed starting pitcher for the other team. You're looking at a lineup of, we obviously talked about Lane Thomas taking the place of Victor Robles. So Lane Thomas in center field starting in the leadoff spot. Then Alcides Escobar, Juan Soto, Josh Bell hitting cleanup. Yadiel Hernandez, contact hitter, hitting right behind him. Carter Keboom starting to swing the bat really well. And then it's sort of a combination of whoever is catching Caber Ruiz or Riley Adams. And then Luis Garcia hitting eighth and then starting pitcher. That's been the lineup for the past two weeks or so. And uh, David Martinez is sticking to it. It's been working. Uh, I think you got, we've talked about Lane Thomas being the prototypical leadoff guy that they really needed, that they expected Victor Robles to be. He's been really successful at the top of that lineup. Alcides Escobar has been able to make some contact. We're going to get into Juan Soto, but Juan Soto doing Juan Soto things. Josh Bell, like you mentioned, turned his season around. Um, so it's, I think that there's a lot of trust between Davey and this offense um, right now and that he you know, is expecting them to score runs, and they have been. I mean, Last night aside, they got shut out against the Marlins, of course. But, you know, for the most part, they've been scoring at a much higher clip than we saw earlier this season. And really what's kind of surprising about that is it's the first time this whole season that Davey Martinez has been able to set a lineup and kind of been able to stick with it because everybody's hitting in their roles. Uh, For most of the season, he was changing people around. You didn't know where Victor Robles was going to fit in. Where do you hit Juan Soto? Because he's your best hitter, the only one hitting. Same thing with Trey Turner. Um, And now you have the unlikelies of Alcides Escobar, who's, who's producing Lane Thomas, who you didn't have before. You have Carter Keboom stepping up a little bit. Yadiel Hernandez, who you didn't expect to be in there. And they're able to stick with this lineup day in and day out, and it's working because everybody's hitting kind of in in their true slot. Yeah, it's funny because you would think that during a rebuild like this, selling pieces off at the deadline, we would be seeing a whole bunch of different combinations of a lineup on a daily basis, uh, especially playing matchups, trying to get the younger guys good matchups, weave them up and down the order. But, no, it's been the same one pretty much throughout the entire time, which is also a good thing because it means, they're like you said, they're doing their jobs that they're supposed to be doing. Lane Thomas is getting on base. Juan Soto is drawing his walks and driving in runs. So is Josh Bell. Yadiel Hernandez is getting opportunities to hit uh, with people, uh, runners on base. So it's been really impressive um, and, and, quite honestly, one of, if not the only bright spot of this last month or two uh, of the season since the deadline and since the Nationals basically kind of punted on the season and look forward to next year and the year after. Uh, so, it, you know, I, I mentioned in one of my articles over the weekend covering for Mark Zuckerman that, you know, the Nationals' effort is is something that's worth watching from here on out. I think that mainly applies to the offense. I was, I was mainly referencing the offense because – they're never really out of it. And I asked David Martinez, and he agrees that they just don't feel like with the way that their offense is clicking right now, they're never really out of a single game. And you go back and look, 
There's a lot of one-run games. There aren't too many blowouts. Um, either way, winning or losing, they're they're pretty much locked into each game, um, and it just seems like late in the game. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's usually not offensively. Sometimes it is, but usually there's a pitching mistake or a fielding mistake that kind of loses in the game early. But the offense is getting them a shot, and we saw what was it two weeks ago against the Phillies? They they mounted a comeback. They ended up losing that game, but you know it just felt like even though the Phillies were up by a handful of runs. The, the Nats still were able to come back and claw their way back into it. Right, and yeah, exactly. They're never out of it, and they've scored at least five runs in, I think, seven games just this month. Um, they're not getting shut out, which would be painful to watch, and that's what's so exciting about this lineup still is that they're always in games, and they're scoring runs, and they're scoring a lot of them, and it just seems like they're losing games um, late in games, and it's it's a result of those bullpen. And, yeah, there were a couple – really rough starts this month so far. Josiah Gray had a couple rough ones, but now the starters are kind of coming around, uh, going deeper into games. You've seen two good starts out of Patrick Corbin, and it's like the bullpen is still blowing it late, and it's it's not a, a result of a lack of run production. It, it's coming from pitching, and recently, even when they get good, good starts, much better starts than they were seeing earlier in the season, it's that bullpen that's kind of blowing it. Let's take a look at some of the guys who have been performing really well. I want to save Juan Soto for last, so let's go down to the guy who had hits behind him, Josh Bell. Uh, Bell has been tearing the cover off the ball. We know about his start to the season. You look back, entering May 13th, he was only hitting 133, three home runs, only 10 RBIs, an on-base percentage of 198, a slugging percentage of 289 for a 487 OPS. That was some of the worst numbers across the majors um, and already a quarter through the season. Now, since May 13th, he's been hitting so much better, and, and a lot of it's due to him hit, being able to hit right-handed a lot better. He's a natural righty. Um, you know, switch hitter brings a lot of uh, versatility, but he wasn't wasn't able to find his right-handed swing early on in the season. Uh, and now total, whether he's batting left or right, over the last 104 games, he's batting 282, on-base percentage of 360, slugging of 527, and an 887 OPS with 23 homers, 71 RBIs, and 44 walks. So he's also uh, seems a lot more patient. He seemed like he was, remember we talked earlier in the season, he was chasing a lot. He seemed to be overly aggressive. He seemed to be not too patient at the plate, and he's really settled into the season and had Having himself, you know, if you take the great bottle of work, you if you mm-hmm. were to say that, you know, Josh Bell's going to hit you, probably end up with 30-plus home runs and close to 100 RBIs, you take that every single time. It's just the way he started uh, kind of puts an asterisk on the season that it wasn't a complete uh, really good season. Right, and I think his numbers would be a whole lot better if he didn't have that such a slow start to the season. But just like you mentioned, since the end of May, ever since June, really, he's come on and just consistently gotten better. You mentioned those walks. Um, he's drawing walks, and I think that's true across this entire lineup mm-hmm. they're walking a lot more than they were they're kind of finding that you know Juan Soto patience at the plate and you always end up scoring more runs that way and it kind of works out really well um, and I, it's probably why the lineup is taken into form and been able to be the same day in and day out because everybody's hitting in that role but Josh Bell's numbers would be a lot better if he had a better start uh, but he's kind of finally fitting into I think what Davey Martinez has wanted him to be all along of course, serving in that role because if you remember at the beginning of the season, we were like, um, "You're you're not going to be able to start Josh Bell there yep. anymore. You're going to have to put Ryan Zimmerman in, and he can't play every day." So that was kind of a sticky situation. Um, they're in a much better situation with Josh Bell now. Yeah, he's on pace to probably get close to, if not eclipse, the 143 games he played in his all-star season in 2019 with the Pirates, uh, in which he hit 37 home runs and drove in 116 runs. 
Um, hit, hit, hit 277 for a 936 OPS. So, you know, we, that would be, could be a fair sample size to compare once this season comes to an end. And, you know, if he gets close to that, which he's got 26, so he's only 11 shy, you might not get 11 more homers over the last two weeks, but you, he probably gets over 30, I would say. He probably gets four or five more. Um, and then you look at the start of the season, don't forget he missed a bunch of time because of the COVID issue. So if he's playing closer to you know, 155 games as opposed to 143, something along those. I mean, that's stretched out. Maybe you're talking about he's hitting closer to 40 home runs and 110-plus RBIs. And so it's it's unfortunate that that started, and you're right, we did have to have that conversation earlier in the season of should Ryan Zimmerman <laughs> start over him because he just can't find his swing. You know, And it's not his fault too, right? Because remember, he was talking about – having to hit off a wiffle ball machine in his living room because he was in quarantine Mm -hmm. and how, I mean, he was having a pretty strong finish to spring training and thought that would carry over into the regular season. And then the whole COVID thing issue. So that's obviously super unfortunate, but I just think that, I guess my question would be, do you think this is more of the normal Josh Bell? Like, is this the Josh Bell? Because we talked about how we haven't seen him early in the season. Now we're starting to see a little more of it consistently. Is this the Josh Bell the Nationals envision signing him? And is this what we're going to get to start next year? I mean, I hope – I think anytime you you don't really get a start to the season or you get a slow start to the season, it's going to take a while to get back into true baseball form, especially as you're later on in your career. And I think these numbers and what Josh Bell is doing now uh, is a lot more like what they expected and is what they can only hope for uh, um, next year because they need them. And you can kind of, although he's supposed to be this power bat in your lineup, I think you can kind of live with the lack of power. Uh, it's kind of similar to the Juan Soto situation when they're getting on base a lot more. And now, just like you mentioned, Josh Bell's walking a lot more. He's getting on base a lot more. You can kind of live with the lack of home runs uh, because he did get a slow start and he's still getting on base um, and that he can still be productive in this lineup. Yeah. Uh, let's move down, then go over to – actually, jump up to the, the top of the mm-hmm. lineup. Lane Thomas, we touched on him briefly uh, because he is now the table setter, right? He's playing that role of Victor Robles as the leadoff guy. Uh, Davey Martinez wants him to get on base. Lane Thomas has done pretty much everything right so far. The only hiccup I would say that has been glaring is his base running. He has made a handful of base running blunders, a couple of errors on the on the base path. There was that one time where he was on first, running to second, and then just stopped because right. he thought it was a foul ball, but it was it, – it, it wasn't clearly, but it was called a fair ball, and he got tagged out. So the base running has maybe been an issue for Lane, but everything else has been really good for him, and he's doing what you would want a prototypical leadoff guy to do. And this is why we talked about last week and week before that we might not see Victor Robles again this top of the season. Right, and we were we talked about him last week, and we were like, well, he had a really, really good start with the Nationals. Let's kind of see how he finishes the season with a bigger body of work. But now he's had over 110 plate appearances, and he's kind of doing the same thing. And he's coming up big in key spots, um, which I think is obviously so important. He had that three-run homer this mm-hmm. weekend that ended up being uh, really big. So Lane Thomas has been a difference. You, you get Josh Bell and Juan Soto having getting hot and having really good second halves, and then you throw in this Lane Thomas into the mix, uh, who's been probably the best bat since he joined the team. Um, it, it, that's what's going to give you a spark in your offense. Before oh, pretty much everyone went 0 for 4 against the Marlins on Monday night, uh, the getting shut out. But before entering Monday night, Lane Thomas was hitting over 300. He's now hitting 293. So take 
goes goes down a little bit, but has scored 18 runs um, with let's see, that's uh, 12 extra base hits, including four homers uh, and six doubles, 16 RBIs, 15 walks. Again, getting on base, that's what you want. That's, I think we talked about this last week. That's already more walks than Victor Robles had this entire season. Uh, a 3.83 on base percentage. So, yeah, it's he's doing the job and he's mm-hmm. doing what you want, and it's it's good to see. And that is kind of the catalyst of this offense, right? We it's baseball one on one. You need your leadoff guy to get on base, and that's how you start <laughs> scoring runs. And it's the easy way to score runs. Victor wasn't doing it. Lane Thomas is, and I think it's no coincidence now that we're seeing this offense kind of take off because Lane is so good at getting on base to start the game. Right, and he's done a really good job in the field too. I mean, he yeah. saved them some runs out there, made some really good plays. Uh, and that's important too, because, you know, last year, Victor Robles kind of lost a step. You saw him pick it back up this year. Um, defense wasn't necessarily the entire issue, but that's a big part of it as well. Um, especially with your center fielder and he's kind of ju- done the job out there as well. So he's been a key part of this team. Yeah. If you can clean up some of the base running stuff, you, you got a really you got a player that can kind of almost do a little bit of everything, and um, he's yeah. You mentioned the defense out in center field is so clutch. Uh, the arm we did not expect to have arm power <laughs> to be there, and he's been able to throw out guys from deep center field. So that's been really impressive. Uh, but what he's been able to do with the bat has really been able to to kind of kickstart this offense going. And then let's get down to the main guy, the, you know, the, the all star Juan Soto. Of course, having another just absolutely stunning campaign. This is also coming, well, of course, coming off the heels of last year in a shortened season where he missed some time and still put up historic numbers. This, earlier this season, I think we had an episode titled, What's Wrong with Juan Soto? Mm -hmm. Uh, Tough start to him, even with Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber in the lineup, and even during Kyle Schwarber's tear at the end of June, Juan Soto still seemed to struggle to find to get on base or get hits. Now Juan Soto is doing what he does best, drawing walks, getting on base, and then when he gets that one pitch to hit, he's not missing. Right. It's Juan Soto is unreal. Unreal. He's unreal. He got on base four times in back-to-back games this weekend for the 19th game this season that he's gotten on base four times. Uh, that's five more games than any other player has done it. Uh, so he's, I mean, he just gets on base. He's able to draw these walks. He hits in big situations and he's just a general generational player. And I think that's why he, even though they're so far out of it this year, he'll still be, uh, in MVP talks. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be the second part of this conversation with Juan, but he, since, uh, he's got a 454 on base percentage for the season. That is best in the majors by 33 points. The next best would be Bryce Harper up in Philadelphia. Since the All Star break, Soto has reached base at a 521 clip, which is just crazy. So he's having a really strong second half. And, you know, the All Star break isn't the actual middle point of the season, (laughs) but that's just how it's defined. So it's been really more so over the last month or so. Um, and he's also slugging 651 in the second half for an 1172 OPS since the All-Star break. So just having a real good end of July, August, beginning of September. Um, and, and, of course, the walks are there at an at a outrageous number. He's going to so, you know, keep drawing walks. That's the one thing you, you, know, you can control, right, is, is, is the walks. Because as a pitcher, like I said, you give he's not missing anymore like he was early in the season. So if you give him something to hit, he's gonna smack it. Right, it's gonna be. I mean, we just saw was it over the weekend he hit like one of the hardest 
like exit velocity balls on a single to right field. Like it was just, it like went over like almost 150 miles per hour on a single. Like, so he's just <laughs> barreling the balls right now. And so pitchers are being super careful with him. And that's how he's, and his, the way that he commands the strike zone, he's going to draw walks more often than not. Right. And that's what driving up that on base percentage. Um, and I wonder if, you know how they say hitting is contagious. Is drawing walks contagious? Because That's it why seems I said that. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody kind of this lineup is kind of following his lead and kind of taking that plate discipline that Juan Soto has, and they're drawing a whole lot more walks. And so when they're hitting these home runs, they're able to score a whole lot more runs. It's kind of uh, the equation's pretty simple there. Um, Juan Soto leads the MLB in walks. He is 119. Uh, he leads everybody else by 39 walks. So yep. it's really not even close. And that's to just 83 strikeouts. Wow. So nobody else really does it like Juan Soto. He's the only one with plate discipline like that in baseball right now. Um, and I think he's rubbing off on the rest of this team. Over the last 30 days, uh, the Nationals lead all of the major league major leagues with 110 walks. That's obviously helped by Juan Soto, but they lead the league in walks over the last month. Um, and so I think there is something to that. And <laughs> you're right. I mean, it's when other guys are getting on base, that's how you score runs in bunches. Uh, topic for another day, but you can talk about how the pitching staff has also issued a lot of walks, and that's <laughs> kind of how it's being seems like these games are always going yeah these games are always going back and forth but um since you brought it up i mean let's 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 kind of talk about is once i mean feel like we had this conversation this time last year too but is Juan soto an mvp candidate i think he's absolutely an mvp candidate i think he'll get votes but i think it's the same conversation that we had last year when your team is out of it and so far out of it like the nationals are it's really hard so for one of your players to win MVP. And I think that'll be Juan Soto's problem. But if you look at the numbers, especially the offensive numbers, uh, he is definitely in the conversation and probably a top three candidate. Yeah. The thing is, though, I'm not quite sure. I mean, the next, the, the obvious choice would probably be Bryce Harper um, as, as one of the, the leading candidates right now. Mm-hmm. 1032 OPS. He's got 32 home runs and 72 RBIs. That's the thing. Juan Soto doesn't have those, you know, home run numbers, those power numbers that we're used to seeing. He just hasn't hit as many. He's got 25, but 83 RBIs um, and the 119 walks, like you mentioned. Um, the average is there, 309. Harper's hitting 307. Um, we talked about the on-base percentage. Harper's slugging a little bit more, 611. Uh, so it's... I think you're right. I think it's an issue where, yes, his numbers say MVP candidate, but the Nationals being where they are, I don't know how many votes he's going to – I don't I don't think he's going to finish in the top five. You don't think he'll finish in the top five? No. He didn't last year, did he? He definitely wasn't a finalist, and I don't think he finished in the top – I think he finished right outside the top oh, five. Okay. And I think it's going to happen again. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just – it's tough because you, you obviously want him, to, and he deserves it with the way that he's been hitting and, you know, the strong last two thirds of the mm-hmm. season, we, let's call it. But how, how much of that, of the, I mean, obviously the slow start factors into how many home runs he has and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. But how much do you think that the slows, the, the kind of bad first half, but particularly the slow start factors into that? I, I, I don't think you can, well, I guess, we, you, I guess you got to look at, if I'm voting, you have to look at it for the entire body of work, right? Mm-hmm. So if Bryce Harper has been more the more consistent hitter throughout the course of the season and they have 
equal numbers and Bryce Harper's team finishes higher than he than Juan Soto's, I think you got to lean towards Harper. And then you also look at the other guys in contention, like Fernando Tatis Jr., I think leads the National League in home runs. Um, yep, with 38. He's approaching 40 with 90 yep. RBIs. So he'll finish with over 40 home runs and over 100 RBIs. But none of these, like, you look at the, the division leaders, right, and teams, I mean, the Padres could sneak into the playoffs. They're only a half game out of the wild card. But I don't know who you pick from the Giants, the Dodgers, the Brewers, or the Braves as as legit MVP candidates. We're probably see an MVP in the National League come from a team that doesn't make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think, and if that's the case, then I think that might even help Juan, Juan Soto. Well, so Juan Soto finished fifth in the MVP voting last year. So Thank just you, Brandon, Brandon Mortensen, um, and. I could see him finishing right around there again this year. I think it's kind of a similar situation. Um, Yeah. The thing about Bryce Harper is he he's he's made a push lately. And I think that's why the Phillies are doing well lately. He's been a big part of that, which makes him a valuable player um, on that team. But he's made, he's had a good season all around. He's had his best season since 2015. Um, And I think when you look at that and then you look at, I mean, obviously Juan Soto's numbers are very comparable, but you look at Juan Soto's entire pretty much first half, it's not even close with those guys. Same thing with um, Fernando Tatis, who's right behind Harper and OPS and OPS plus uh, Juan Soto coming in in third to those guys. It, it kind of, I think that might factor into it. Yeah. And then you, okay, so to look back at last year's MVP voting in the national league of the top five, Juan was the only one not on a, Playoff team, team. Um, it and makes then a huge going, difference. going yep. even further down, I think there's only two players or three players. Excuse me, Soto, uh, Mike Yastrzemski with the Giants, and Trey Turner, who were on non-playoff teams last year. Because it does make a difference, <laughs> right? But then again, look, we just I, I you're looking, you know, you just look across the leaderboard. There aren't too many guys who jump out on the page and are on the Dodgers or on on the Giants. Um, Jesse Winker with the Reds. They're, I think, in a wild card spot right now. Trey Turner might get some votes. Trey Turner should get some votes. Yeah. I mean, was, doesn't the, don't the Dodgers have, like, a ridiculous record since he's been over there? Like, mm-hmm. it, at one point it was, like, 14-2 and two or something like that. Right. Um, and they haven't lost in a Max Scherzer start. Mm-hmm. Who gets through that? We don't have to talk He'll about get some right votes. Now. I don't think any player's ever won it being traded at the deadline and then won MVP. Paul McConnell was telling us before actually the show, and it was not at the deadline. It was earlier in the season, but actually it was relating to Cy Young Award. But okay, but yeah, I can't think of anyone think who was MVP traded at the deadline and then won yep. an MVP award. That's something to dig up and find out. But you know, it is interesting. It's just it's just interesting that we're in the same conversation that we had last year, right? Because he's putting up MVP caliber numbers. He's not on a competing team. How much does that? Ha- and the other thing too is though, you know, I think last year I, you can make the argument that the Nationals would have been way, way worse without Juan Soto and Trey Turner, but more so Juan Soto. This year, it's like they're looking at a last-place finish again. They're probably going to be picking in the top five. I mean, would the Nationals be one of the worst teams in baseball without Juan Soto at this point? I mean, they already are. I mean, they are. They already are. So and how much he's putting how, up these numbers? So how how, how valuable is that? Right. Like if he was like carrying the team to like middle of the pack, maybe. 
Right. But a last place finish, how how valuable is he if he they're right. still going to finish in last place? But, yeah, it, th- that's what it comes down to because the numbers are there definitely, and even last year when we were kind of trying to justify why he didn't wasn't a finalist, we were saying, oh, maybe it's the defense. Uh, but the defense has significantly improved mm-hmm. in, in right field from minus five defensive run save last year to four this year. So that that's a pretty big jump. Uh, so you can't even really throw that in the mix. Um, it's just going to come down to whether these teams are contending and how important these guys, which I really think probably comes down to Harper and Tatis, are mm-hmm. in their individual lineups, both making a push, both pretty valuable. Yeah, and, and I think that's the argument for that would benefit Bryce Harper. Uh, you know, the, the Phillies are a game above 500 right now, four and a half out of the, the NL East and only two and a half out of the wild card. Even if they miss it, you could point and say, well, how much worse would they be without Bryce Harper? Like, Bryce Harper basically are, is carrying them into mm-hmm. contention. Uh, at least they're there at the sh- with a shot. So that would be kind of the reverse, you know, it's like the reverse argument for Soto, and uh, that would be the benefit to Harper. So it's all I have to say is that Juan Soto is amazing, and we he's should good. enjoy watching him. That's another reason to watch every single day. Even when he's drawing walks, it's exciting because he's just just shows you the command of the game that he has. Yeah. Three more years of control of Juan Soto uh, before they try to get a deal done, which Mike Rizzo has said they are going to do everything. That's a, their part of their plan of the future. Um, you just kind of hope they're competitive again in that, hopefully, that third year. Uh, so you get to see Juan Soto in all that he can do. I'm sure we're not going to be talking about it too much over the next couple of years. I'm so sure about that. Um what else do we want to talk about today? Is there so there's been a couple of questions that we've gotten on Facebook and on YouTube before, and this might not be the time to have a conversation, but it just popped in my head because we were talking about offensive production, and in a blowout loss, Zimmerman did deliver a pinch hit home run. But what is Ryan Zimmerman's future with this team right now? Is he because the way we're just talking about how well Josh Bell's been hitting the ball. Zimmerman, at best, is a defensive replacement late in the game mm-hmm. and a pinch hitter late in the game when you need it. He's not going to get as many at-bats. I think next year we're going to be having, especially with the situation that this team is in now, I think next year it's going to be the same situation that we were in this year at first base. It's being Bell and Zimmerman? Yep. Yeah. but And you hope Bell starts – next year the way he finished this year and Zimmerman can really be that replacement playing however many times a week um, and just being able to come in clutch in some of these moments and he's not going to be your everyday player and hopefully Bell gets off to a better start. Well it'll take two to tango right so Zim Zim would want to have to come back and keep playing which he has said he he thinks he does. It's a little different now that they've gone completely fully into a rebuild Um and the Nationals will have to want him back. I, I think it's hard to. I, I think it would be hard in a year where they're not planning to contend for Mike Rizzo to say, if if Zimmerman says I want to be back, it'd be hard for Rizzo to say no. Right. Uh, because you know what, what's the harm in having him if you're not looking to contend next year, anyways? Just yeah. at least for mm-hmm. the leadership aspect of of the team and the morale. And he proved that he could play that role very well. Right, he he he. Earlier in the season, especially when Josh Bell was struggling, he has delivered pinch hit home runs. He has delivered big hits, uh, drove in runs. Obviously, his glove is better than Josh Bell's, even though Bell's has improved over at first base. 
there is something to be said of what he can bring to the team, even when he is really reduced in the plate appearances and, and how much playing time he gets. Right. I mean, I think why not one year deal, get him for cheaper. You know, he's kind of, he just wants to play. Uh, and if he wants to be there, I don't see a reason why not, because they have other positions of kind of yeah. direct need to fill in, even though they're not planning to compete next year, they still need somebody to play on some of these spots. So if you can, if you have a little, concoction that you've worked up over there at first base and it works and Josh Bell can hit better than he started last year uh I think it could be a perfect fit I think so too and uh, I think the main point right there what you just said is that there are, are gonna be other places of need than first base because you already have Josh Bell for another year you know that there is no prospect knocking on the door being like I'm I'm gonna be competing for a, a job at first base next year why not bring back the franchise player? Now, someone asking on Twitter, Chad, thanks, or excuse me, Facebook, Chad, thanks for tuning in. Will Riley Adams be converted to a first baseman with the idea of possibly using then Tres Barrera or Alex Avila as the backup? No, I don't think, I, I, I don't know why this comes up a lot. I guess because it, it's catchers, but like, I feel like with every catching prospect, there's people throw on this when idea. When are they going to go to first base? Right. <laughs> or, or in a corner outfield spot. Just let him be a catcher. He's, He's proven that he can. He's good behind the plate. I mean, he had a great start to his to his Nationals career, but Caber Ruiz came up right after, so he's going to, of course, take over that number one spot. But the he could perfectly be an acceptable backup. Right. The Nationals are in trouble if you have Riley Adams, which is a young catching prospect now, um, and you have to convert him into a first baseman yeah. at this point in his career. Then yeah. the Nationals are in, in some trouble. Um, I think there's no reason to do that with the situation that they have now years down the line maybe uh if if catching doesn't work out for him uh but right now he's young he's proven that he's doing fine at that position and i think he's going to be the number two guy next year yeah and then you also i mean we've we talked about this a little bit last week too is that this team has not had a lot of depth at catcher since pre-Wilson Ramos, mm -hmm. or, like, Wilson Ramos was the last time, like, he signified the depth at catching spot. Now you finally have it because you traded for two catchers at the deadline. You've got a prospect that you feel pretty confident in, Tres Barrera. Uh, Israel Pineda is down there to, as well. So wh why toy? Like, no, I, I just – to answer the question, Chad, no, I don't mm -hmm. think that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just went off on a tangent because I don't understand why everyone just assumes that just to get him plate appearances. No, if he's getting plate appearances in playing time, I want him behind the plate. Exactly. Because you know, we just saw that you never know when you're going to run to a catching emergency. Yeah. <laughs> because true. Uh, how many they the Nationals like didn't know who their catcher was going to be for like a week at like the end of July uh leading into the trade deadline and that's mm -hmm. how like they had to call up Barrera and and it was just a fiasco. So always have backup catchers readily available and I think that's what the Nationals are going to do and not bother moving them to a corner infield or outfield spot. Right. I, d I don't think that's realistic. Chad also commented, what bullpen free agents will they sign in 2022? I think we'll probably dive into that Very in deeply. this offseason. But, you know, just touching on the bullpen, outside yikes. of <laughs> yikes, outside of Kyle Finnegan, who I think will be at peace in this bullpen, I don't think he'll be the closer of the future, but will be a piece of this bullpen over the next few years. Um, other than that, I don't know who else is really there to stay and step up who's been pitching over these last three-ish weeks. You don't think he's the closer of the future? 
I don't. Are, are you still kind of having faith in Tanner Rainey for that spot? The good, yes. The good thing about Kyle Finnegan is you kind of saw him step up and he's closing out games um, and done a really good job. You just didn't see it over, you know, uh, consistency. You didn't see the consistency because it wasn't over a larger body of work. They kind of just threw him in there and he was forced. But now you kind of see him stick to this role. Um, he's converted nine saves in 11 opportunities. Uh, he's pitching, sometimes being asked to pitch multiple innings. Um, Sunday. Right. That was, I think he got a five-out save on Sunday in Pittsburgh. Right. I think their their hope is that Tanner Rainey will be able to, to fill that spot, and you can have Kyle Finnegan earlier in games to maybe pitch a couple innings. Um, but who knows with this bullpen. I just think you really you never really know with the Nationals' bullpen, but especially now, I think other than Kyle Finnegan, who else is there? Kyle Finnegan and Ryan Harper are the only two pitchers on the current national staff, starter or reliever, with an ERA under three. And Finnegan has it in twice as many uh, outings in 60 games to Harper's 30. So, yeah, Finnegan has been – now, I think, I think people – and I, I'm guilty of this too because I would not have guessed that he has only blown two saves. Mm-hmm. It feels like a lot more. I think it's because he sometimes puts himself in – jams uh-huh. and then gets out of them uh, but Finnegan has probably been the most consistent and best Nationals pitcher throughout the course of the entire season a 261 ERA in 60 games is nothing to we were talking I about that earlier fair to say, we were talking yeah. about early in the season like that's what we kind of expected from Brad Hand and mm-hmm. Daniel Hudson um, and now it's Kyle Finnegan doing it and so those two saves I think those two blown saves I think those kind of glare and stand out because they're the you know they're the bad parts and mm-hmm. an, an already bad season. I think everyone likes to point to the bad uh, as opposed to highlighting the good. Two sixty one ERA is nothing to scoff at. There's only given up six home runs. That's re- it's, that's one per ten outings. That's keeping the ball in the yard. God, I and the other thing. I mean, we've only had two seasons of Kyle Finnegan under a belt, but he's been more available than Tanner Rainey has. So I. I I think Tanner Rainey still has the stuff. You have to be available. You have to be available. (laughs) I think Tanner Rainey still has the stuff, but Kyle Finnegan right now is auditioning for this closer role next year, and he might be earning it and and winning it right now. And that'd be awesome to see. But, yeah, if you go down the list, like you were kind of to your point, Austin Voth, a 6'10 ERA, goes back and forth. I mean, he's been all strictly bullpen this year. I think that's where the Nationals want him to be. Wander Suero, injuries, an ERA well over six. Mason Thompson... Some flashes of good, some flashes of bad. Look at Sunday. You know, he walked the leadoff guy again and then was immediately pulled after he faced the minimum three guys. Um, Andres Machado, not sure how much longer, you know, if, if the Nationals really want to stick to him back there. There's no one. Alberto Baldonado, just they needed a lefty. Mm-hmm. Gabe Klobisitz. Nothing, nothing's going to stick. If no. you just, Kyle I, McGowan. Maybe. How we had high hopes for Sam Clay, too, but and and – he might only stick around because he's a lefty. Right. So it, the, the bullpen conversation in the, in the offseason was definitely going to be. Young guys. Who, who do you, young guys, and who do you go after in free agency if you choose to do so at all? Because all I, right. I don't know. You're, it's going to be lower level guys. You're not going to go after the top. Like you just went after Brad Hand, and that didn't turn out so well. But so I, I don't know. I, it's gonna be, I don't think you go out and spend too much on your bullpen. When you're already expecting to be bad. Right. It's not worth it, especially when you do have some young pitchers 
coming up through this organization that you could kind of give a shot to eat up some innings out there. Like we've seen this year, auditioning for some roles. Uh, Kyle Finnegan has stepped up to the plate. Everybody else, you kind of throw it against the wall and nothing else is really stuck. Um, but that's certainly a, an area to address, and it's definitely an area to address when they're competing again. As far as next year, we'll dive in the offseason a yeah. little bit into those free agents that are available, but uh, there's no use in going out and spending big money on that, the situation that they're in right now. Answering two more quick questions from Chad. Chad, thank you so much for tuning in. Will jo- Josiah, this is easy one, jo- will Josiah Gray be a starter or could he be- come out of the bullpen? He's a starter. He's going to be a starter. That's what they want him to do. Uh, and then Kevin Long and Hickey come back in 2022. This is an interesting question because I actually had this thought about a month ago. How much blame, I think I asked Mark Zuckerman on it last time he was on the pod, how much blame do the, does the coaching staff get for some of these guys' struggles? I, I, it was a different point in time in the season when, I, when Mark and I talked about it, so the conversation probably has changed because they're such younger mm-hmm. guys. But they had a roster that was meant to compete, and it didn't. Now, I know in baseball, there's only so much managers and coaches do, especially with the older guys, with veteran guys who pretty much know their game. And that's what I was going to say because look at who they went out and and got. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Kyle Schwarber. It was Josh Bell. The young guys, I think, you know, who have had some stunts in their development when they've gotten up to the big league level, there might be something there. Um, But as far as the older guys, especially that they've kind of filled this lineup with, this season, eh, I don't think you can really blame the coaches too much. And I also think, um, will they come back? Yes, because I think this this is Davey Martinez's handpicked staff. This is who we want. For the first time, this is his 18, 19, 20th, fourth season uh, as the Nationals manager. And finally got his guys. He them. finally has the staff that he has handpicked himself. So I think he picked them knowing he's going to stay. Davey, of course, signed the extension last before the end of last season. Um, so I, I think, yeah, the results weren't great. But like you said, only so much can be blamed on the coaches. Mm-hmm. And since Davey picked these guys, I think they're going to stick around with him. And really, as far as pitching, it's been, as far as this, the rotation, it was injuries after injury after yeah. injury that kind Except of Corbin. dug them into this hole. Corbin, yeah, that's a different conversation. But yeah, you're you're right about that. Yeah. So... A lot of food for fodder uh, and a lot of questions and topics to breach in a couple of weeks. This is our third to last regular season pod. We only got two weeks left in the regular season. So we'll be back next week, same time, probably same place. Uh, It depends on where we are. We kind of float around either from home or here or in the web studio. Who knows? Uh, So be sure to tune in. Give a follow on Mass and Nationals Facebook page, YouTube channel, and on Twitter at Mass and Nationals. Be sure to check out because Amy has a package coming up later this week. Thursday's off day. So be sure to check out our social media channels on that day when there's no baseball. You can also follow the Mass and All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts. You can find the Mass and All Access podcast at Amy Jennings News for Amy. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Thanks so much for Brendan Mortensen and Paul Mancano's help behind the scene. Stay safe. Stay healthy, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.